Western and Southern Financial Group. Put our financial strength behind you. It's easy to get started. Visit westernsouthern.com. Now batting, number one in our hearts. At least he'd like to think so. It's the Jim Day Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Jim Day Podcast. Wherever you are, I hope you're doing well as we now look back on the 2021 season that was for the Cincinnati Reds. And there's no better way. There's a lot of season enders, but folks, seriously, there's no better way than to tap into the guys that were have that really have a pulse on everything. And that would be the beat writers from the Athletics, C. Trent Rosecrans, from MLB.com, Mark Sheldon, from the Inquirer, and Cincinnati.com, Mr. Bobby Nightingale. Fellas, how we doing? Wonderful. <laughs> I can see the burnout is still in effect. It's a long season, and when you get to the finish line, it's kind of like, wow, am I tired. There is some malaise that has set in these last couple of days, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's you, uh, go ahead. I congratulated uh, my friend Lindsay Adler, who covers the Yankees, sent her a message today, just like, congratulations on your offseason. <laughs> it is. Hey, it's one of those things where it's such a grind, and it's nearly every day, and particularly you guys. I mean, I talk for a living, so I really can't complain, but you guys really have to do work and longer hours, and uh, so you're, you're actually using your brains, so so you're mentally spent. I get it. A little bit. But it felt okay. like you guys felt like it to you guys, but like after the 60-game season, this felt like 195 games. <laughs> That's true. In the last few weeks, I'm not going to lie, it did drag a little bit. Uh, let's jump right into it, and you'll uh, I'll address uh, questions to particular guys. So you'll get to know the voices coming up. Uh, you heard from all three right there, but... Reds finish uh, four games over 500. I want to ask this to all three of you. I'll start with you, Trent. What was the, before the season, what was the preseason prognostication? Because, wow, he just used a big word right there. I'm spent. Good night, everybody. Prognostication. I had them um, anywhere, you know, three to five games over or three to five games under somewhere in that window, depending on how things went, where did you guys have them before the season? Before I ask other questions, I, I think I had it at um, 78 is what I put down when I was asked on mm-hmm. um, a podcast, I put 78 and I know Vegas had it uh, 81 and a half. And, right. Cause I wrote a story about that at the time. So, and the funny thing was I wrote the story about 81 and a half because when I put that up, it's like, Oh, the MGM has them up at 81 and a half wins. My Twitter mentions were like, that's crazy. There's no chance they will do that. And, um, you know, I had them at 78, so I wasn't yeah. too far off. But, yeah, so that's uh, – I just do remember both of those numbers uh, for some reason. Mark Sheldon, about where did you have them? My memory serves me correct. I, I think I had them a tick below 500. I want to say 80, 80 and 82 maybe, uh, maybe 79. Uh I, I definitely was not bullish as far as I, I thought they would be an improvement from the, the 19 team. I, I don't really, I didn't put a whole lot of ton into 20, but I, I honestly, with when they took apart the bullpen and it didn't sign a shortstop, I was not uh, sold that this was going to be a contending team. What about you, Bobby? Yeah, I remember writing a story and I said 77. Um, that was the number I had for him. I just thought, 
kind of what you saw in September when all their outfielders got hurt. I right. think that was going to throughout the entire season. So that sets me up perfectly for this because again, four games above 500 and along the way it was entertaining, encouraging, exhilarating, but the general feeling is it's a crusher because they were 12 games over 500 sometime in late August. So it's, is it kind of weird that we had low expectations, but in the end, a lot of people were disappointed. I think that's human nature. You know, expectations ebb and flow. And at one point, um, you know, when they're 12 games or whatever, over 500, and you look at the remaining schedule and everything we kept talking about, um, it was like, oh, you forget that before the season you had low expectations. All yeah. you know is here you go, and it can, it, it, they should make the playoffs, and then they, they collapsed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think people definitely got excited. You know, there were so many ebbs and flows too. There was, you know, the, the trip to San Diego where they got just their heartbroken repeatedly and you think it was over and then they overcame that and then they overcame another losing streak and, and so I think fans really got up in the in the uh the, the ups and downs and the roller coaster of it all and it was exciting. So I get why they're disappointed. I I still don't think it was a failure of a season. I know they want to go to the postseason and that anything short of that is a failure, but I, I think they got the most out of this roster as they could up until September when it all came apart. Yeah, a lot of things broke their way, which I think kind of changed the expectations. I mean, I, I didn't imagine Joey Votto was going to be back to the level he got to. I mean, you had two all-star game starters. Uh, Wade Miley anchored the rotation. I mean, there was a lot of things that went their way. The bullpen was kind of the big question mark all year. But um, when you when you have a lead in the wild card race in September, I think – that changes everything. I mean, you kind of throw the preseason stuff out the window and especially with the schedule they had, um, I understand the disappointment. So in future years, when you hear the term, well, they have the easiest schedule remaining. Can we just poo poo on that please? Because that's where the reds were and it did not turn out well. So I, I don't think I ever want to hear that phrase again, but you would agree. It was a very entertaining team to watch. Was it not Mark Sheldon? Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, the, the big problem in 2020 was they couldn't score any runs and it was, they were often viewed as flat and, and maybe not exciting, even though they pitched really well. But I think this year they had enough starting pitching and their, uh, their lineup was like, like Bobby mentioned, you got Votto who just really rose to the occasion and seemed to lean into the, the fan frenzy and the enjoyment of, of the season. You had Nick Castellanos who kind of, lit the fire with that bench clearing incident right at the beginning of the season. And, and some of these players were just likable and they were, they were, you know, it was the first time to have fans in, in since 19 in the seats. And I think everyone just really appreciated it more. So I, I think it was an exciting team. I thought it was more entertaining uh, and they definitely played hard. I don't think anyone could say that they, they mailed it in this season. It was, I, I thought it was a very energetic and exciting set of games. They played a lot of times this year. So Bobby Nightingale, you're the newest of the group here, and you were not here when Votto was in his prime, let's say, even though, what do we know about prime now? He's 38, and as they say, Votto still bangs, or as I like to say, Votto still barrels. Um, what was it like for you to see Votto this season who just decided, you know what, I'm going to start hitting home runs, and at 37, 38, he did it. What was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, I remember turning to 
spent in Mark during the year and being like, is this anything like he was in 17 or 10? Because you saw those numbers. And I mean, he, he was, you know, the best hitter in the National League at that time. But it, to me, it was amazing just to see it on a daily basis, what he was doing, especially the second half of the season, that home run streak, um, the way he just killed the ball at Wrigley. Um, there were so many moments where it was just like, wow, he's stepping up to the occasion. He's putting the team on his back. Because that was a time when Castellanos was hurt too. So I thought that was, you know, he, he kind of saved the season at that point because it was like, uh-oh, he's hurt. Um, how, how can they fill Castellanos out of the lineup and then doing what he did? Um, yeah, I, I, that was probably – I covered Miguel Cabrera in 2013 when Cabrera won MV, AL MVP, and that was the closest thing I've seen since then um, on a daily basis. Uh, it was seeing him, Joey, just day in, day out, hit the ball the way he did. Mark, what are your thoughts on Votto's season? I think this is the first time since maybe before 2012 that people actually appreciated Joey Votto. Uh, I feel like for years he has been the whipping boy of various various people for not doing this or not for being for not being the player that they wanted him to be, whatever that was. It just seemed like he was always disappointing the fans or certain members of the media. Um, but I think. You know, I've, I've, I, I enjoyed watching him. I, I enjoyed watching him enjoy it. I, I think for this year, he really seemed to have fun with this particular group of players. He mentioned that, you know, whether it was India or Winker or Castellanos, that he seemed to enjoy this particular group. And I, and I did like seeing him go for it a little bit more. He, he did give up. He did make more outs and take more chances, but he also got a lot uh, more results with home runs. And, and he just seemed like he, he was big in a lot of situations. I thought it was a good season and definitely reminded me of 2010, 2012, and 2017. Trent Votto, uh, it was a new look for him. I shouldn't say new, a new old look for him with the power approach and standing up taller in the box and choking down on the bat. Uh, but as Mark mentioned, it was also a different Votto, like he said, enjoying it, his personality, his interactions with the fans. Did you see that change as well? Yeah, I mean, we've seen that before. Remember in Philadelphia, they would always boo him. He would kind yeah. of play around with them. Oh, some of my of favorite fans. clips. Those are beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. This year, I did the one thing that I never I, – I, or coming into this year, I did the one thing that I, I told myself I would never do, and that's doubt Joey Votto. Um, I joke that, you know, you could tell me anything about Joey Votto and I'd believe it. And, yeah. um, and like, this year, like – after last year, I was like, I'm just not sure what he can be. And he did it this year. And, and just to see, I don't know, to make the game fun. And that, that seven game uh, stretch with a home run uh, and at eight, just because of the way it ended um, was just such a, such a joy. And, and honestly, from our, our perspective, the way things worked this year, um, you got to give Joey credit. He was there every day after that. Um, Rob Butcher would ask him to be on those Zooms. And, you know, you talk to some some writers at other places um, and they would get the stars, you know, the guys who are the Joey Votto level. They got them four times all year on the post-game Zooms. Right. You know, we had weeks where we had four times or more with Joey. Yeah. And um, so I, I think I think there's a lot of credit to go around for, for Joey Votto's season, all to him. But, but credit for a lot of different things. And, and that's one of the things that will stand out to me about um, this season and as crappy as a lot of the things were uh, for us and our job that, that Joey helped 
and, and did that even when you, there were days you could tell he just didn't want to do it again, but yet he kept showing up. If I told you before the season that there's going to be two members within the Reds organization that are really going to bond over Ted Lasso, who had Votto and David Bell as those two? I had David, honestly, because... Really? Come on. Um, oh, yeah. No, no, no. Because there was a point really early in the season. Um, I think it was right when we were able to go down. I don't You guys remember this. Uh, the, the media regulations changed all year, and they were constantly changing. Um, yeah. I'm more aware of that than I would like to be, honestly. Uh, but there was a point where we could go down before the game and be like in the stands and talk to people. And we were talking to David Bell and I just said, Hey, David, have you watched Ted Lasso? Because I, it kind of reminds me of you. And I think you would enjoy it because no, you know, my brother really enjoyed it. Um, but, but I'll have to start watching it. And so we had that conversation. And then, I mean, I think of Roy Kent, I think of Joey Votto. Um, Uh-oh. It, it, he's not going to like that. He's Jamie Tart. He's He's not, um, but you know, he's got kind of got the same kind of beard sometimes. Um, he can do that. Uh, he can do the gruff. He can do the funny. Um, it, it, it was pretty good. Um, so I saw, I saw it in, um, in David and I actually, I think David even mentioned that one game that I, that I pointed it out to him. Um, but also Joey came on about the wire and Seinfeld and he's got yeah. good taste in TV. So I'm not shocked. I love that he was doing the Jamie Tart and pointing to his name on his back in visiting stadiums. And they had no idea what he was doing. They just thought he was being a jerk and he's selfish and he's pointing at Votto. That was beautiful, was it not, gentlemen? It was yeah, amazing. Votto, Votto does a heel turn like no other. Like you mentioned Philadelphia when a he was trying to throw balls it. in the crowd. He, he loved that stuff. I, I, yeah. he, did, he did enjoy that. We got a wrestling reference in there, a heel turn. Well, and Joey, was that in the, the story we did? I know I talked about it. like he. There was a time where he was big into wrestling, so it never surprises me when uh, he will he will take on the um, heel turn. And um, I think I mentioned to him once, and he just kind of dismissed it. But we all know it's there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, myself, I, I am <clears throat> very much with you guys that I'll, I'll believe anything someone tells me about Joey Votto because you just never know about that dude hold that thought we'll be right back after this all right we had an interesting conversation or bits and pieces of conversations when you guys were trying to decide team mvp now i don't want to give away anything of the the announcement and i don't know who it is um or you you guys don't have to give away your vote but the what was interesting to me was that it's not clear cut that you started looking at Castellanos' number. You looked at Vado's number. And when Castellanos uh, was injured and Winker was injured, Vado really carried the team when they got to that point of 12 games over 500. Um, but then you look at like the war number of India, who played the entire season and should garner some attention. So what are your guys, Bobby, your, your thoughts on that interesting conversation that wasn't one clear-cut guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, like an NL MVP vote this year, and that was like the hardest thing was like what red deserves the most consideration. I mean, India, like you said, is has the highest war of anyone, which I think is a little surprising. Just, um, you know, he, he didn't have a huge impact the first two months, and then once he got the leadoff, I mean, 
took it and ran with it, going to win rookie of the year. Um, but like Castellanos, Votto, and even Winker. I mean, before Winker got hurt, he's, his numbers were as good as anybody's in the league. Um, so those four guys, I mean, it was such a tough thing to go back and forth on. And it was like, what do you value the most? Um, you know, Cassianos did it all year. Votto had the highest peak. Um, I think India, he was the most like, if he plays well, they're going to win games. And then Winker, I mean, he was kind of the, I think he was the difference down the stretch. I mean, um, yeah. if they had him in the lineup the last month of the season, I think that changes their offense that last September when they were struggling. I think that was a big part of it. Mark, you really struggled with the decision. I kept looking at you, and you're like, I don't know. And you look at this number, and one way you'd be leaning this guy, and then this guy. It was, it was a tough one. It, it really was. And that's uh, one reason why the season was fun to watch this year in a lot of ways, because it wasn't just one guy carrying the team. You know, these past uh, years, like 14 to 19, you didn't have a whole lot of guys to look at for MVP. It was usually pretty clear cut. You knew who was the, the best hitter was, and you just voted for him. Um, and, you know, this year, you know, the guys were had different numbers and good numbers in different situations, whether, you, you know, the, 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 you know, there's their OPS or whether it was like their OPS and clutch or, or late inning situations, whether it was, you know, second half numbers, you know, you could pick splits left and right that, that, that uh, pushed the, the candidacy of any of those four players. And uh, they, all four of them were certainly considered. I mean, Winker less so. If, if he hadn't gotten hurt, I think he, he definitely would have been in the, in the conversation more. But, uh, yeah, I think those four guys really did have a nice year. How incredible of a story was Jonathan India. Trent, how incredible was it for him, him to not only turn it around, but we're probably talking about the National League Rookie of the Year. And when he was inserted into the – Leadoff position, the Reds have been seeking a leadoff guy for so long. I mean, they had Chu there for one season, but a long-term answer. And it seems like they have a long-term answer and perhaps a bona fide star. How incredible of a story is this? Yeah, I mean, let's not let's not gloss over the fact he was the number five overall pick. This is not a guy who is a, you know, this isn't the perennial underdog story. Yeah, no, I don't mean um, it like that, but he was um, there were lots of questions. Oh, sure. And, and even early, um, you know, there was a point where he had a stretch, and I forget who it, it might have been against the Diamondbacks um, because my friend Nick Pecora, who's a great baseball writer for the Arizona Republic, he's like, how long can they go with this India, um, this India, like, uh, experiment? Because he's just killing them. Because he was, he was not playing well there for a little bit. And... And then, you know, he made that adjustment. We hear that all the time. You know, that's like one of the biggest cliches in this game is, you know, it's a game of adjustments and you've got to do it. And that's why you see, you know, like a guy like Aristides Aquino didn't make the adjustment after this first month that he was the best player in the world. And India started off good. Pitchers figured him out. And then he figured it out. And that's the biggest thing. That's that's where you can tell how you know, that you think a guy's going to be different, that he's going to be a long-term piece. And, and from July to when he was put in that leadoff spot till the end, he was just a difference maker. And it seemed like, it seemed like every game, every other game, he started off on base and that's exactly what you want, you know? Um, so it, it was, it was really fantastic. And I think he got a lot better at that defensively at that position. And you're talking about a guy who's going to be this team's second baseman and leadoff hitter. You know, you can, you can look in the next two, three years and say that's that we know that. 
and whatever else we don't know, we know that. Yeah, no doubt. And you're, that adjustment you're talking about going from the high leg kick to the toe tap, which and some other little tweaks along the way. But Mark, what I mean, we're talking about the walking wounded here. I I, I hope Jonathan India is taking a five month ice bath because it was incredible to watch him go through injury after injury and not even get over them. He had them the whole year, which kind of adds to the mystique of, of his rookie season. Does it not? Sure does. Uh, he was hit in national league leading 23 times by pitches. It seemed like they were always on his hands or his wrists, which is a horrible spot to get hit. And then, uh, you know, we saw it a couple of times, ourselves but like there'd be times where he'd make a tough defensive play or make a slide into second base and he would be laying on the ground for a minute or two and you didn't quite know what it was and uh you, you come to find out later and, and Kyle Farmer kind of confirmed it his his shoulder pops out of socket it sounded like every other week you know and and he had that issue with his I think it was his left shoulder but that can't be very fun to have I mean <laughs> that must no. hurt and, and and he played with it and he never went on the IL I probably played 150, 148 games this year. Uh, and that's to his credit. And, and, you know, like you mentioned, he was, I, I think he was pretty close to getting sent down. I, I think Nick Senzel was getting some looks at second base. Uh, I think he was looking pretty good there. Uh, then he got hurt and, and India got a second shot. And, uh, and I think Moustakis being hurt as well, didn't, you know, didn't hurt India's chances. And I think India took that June 5th move to the leadoff spot and just ran with it and all the credit, goes to him and making the adjustments. I will say to your point earlier, like spring training 2020, it was his first big league spring training. Yeah. He didn't look good at all. I no. mean, first half of spring, I mean, he was definitely looked like a guy who was overmatched, was going to be a few years away. And then it was like, you talk to scouts and they'd be like, this dude, I know he was a number five pick, but he doesn't look like a, a guy who should have been a number five pick. Then he went to the alternate site. Nobody could see him. The red said he looked really good, but no one could confirm it. So I, I just thought in the back of my head, it was like, okay, maybe they're just trying to hype him up for unnecessarily, you know, try to try to get some positive momentum there. But then you saw him this spring and he, he just looked like a completely different guy. Um, you know, second base, he, he adjusted there, but it's just amazing how quick he turned it around in one year. I mean, he far exceeded any expectation I ever had for him in his rookie season. Jonathan India's emergence does create a problem. And these are good problems to have. However, they had Moustakis was going to play second base. And Suarez was going to play third base. And then Suarez, after a down 2020 year, had a down 2021 until September, in which he killed it. Moustakis injured throughout most of the season, disappointing season, both under contract. What the heck is going to happen at third base? I mean, though, there is one obvious solution. A designated hitter. Indeed. And you can platoon them defensively, if you will. Every yeah. Year. And, and I mean, again, <laughs> remember when we were talking about they had too many outfielders? Yeah. Uh, these things, we joke about it, and we say it all the time, and nobody loves hearing us say this, but these things work themselves out. Um, this is a game. We just talked about the injuries. We talked about – Jesse Winker missing more than a month. You know, Joey Votto missing a month. Nick Castellanos missing a couple of weeks. Um, you know, and, and honestly, how many of the games has Mike Moustakas been healthy in his two years that, that he's been with the Reds? 
um, <laughs> Nick Senzel, you know, I, I'm not saying they don't prepare, but these things happen. And um, I, I just, I don't worry. I never, ever, ever worry about having too many good players. Yeah. I would say though, there's a problem they will have though. And if, if, you know, you obviously don't want to have any, say an injury will take care of the situation, but you have one player in Mustakis who has, I think he has 38 million left on his deal. You have Suarez who has 35 million and neither one of them really rose to the occasion in a platoon. And you know, that that's a problem because they, they can't just platoon them to until see what happens. Cause it, it really didn't work for either of them. And then, you know, the other issue, the other thing they don't want to do is you don't want to have to offload one of those contracts by packaging them with a, with a prospect or a, a, premier, a more premier player to try to get rid of them because that, that'll backfire too. So they really have a, a very, very, very thin uh, needle to, to thread and trying to figure this out. I don't, I don't think it's as easy as just the DH. Well, a platoon does, the platoon this year didn't include the DH. No, I'm saying that's the, I'm, not, I'm just saying the DH rule will not necessarily alleviate their problems because, you know, other than Suarez's last month, he didn't hit. He didn't hit enough to be a DH. I mean, he hit, you know, he had 28 homers, but, or 31 homers, but it wasn't enough production. Mustakis, not enough production to be a DH. I mean, if you're going to put a DH in that spot, you, you want to get DH-like production, and neither one of them have done that yet, at least lately. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there at third base, and I think we're all expecting the DH to happen, right, with this collective bargaining agreement, and I put an emphasis on agreement. I hope they come to an agreement. Uh, that's maybe a conversation for another day, but let's hope they don't shut this game down. Fingers crossed on that one. How about the starting pitching, guys? We, uh, you know, that was probably the most consistent part, the strength of the team. And even though Sonny Gray labeled his season as very average, uh, he dealt with some injuries along the way as well. Luis Castillo got off to a really slow start and then amazingly finished below for ERA. Tyler Malley on the road, at least, outstanding. What did you think about the starting pitching overall, Bobby? Yeah, I think Wade Miley was probably the, the anchor of the whole thing. I mean, him having the bounce back season that he did, throwing 160 innings after he only threw, I think, less than 20 in 2020. Um, that, that was huge, first off. I mean, Luis Castillo finally found his groove, but having Miley do what he did, I, I thought was kind of what helped, was a huge help to their season pitching-wise. Um, Tyler Malley, you, you just want to see him ascend. He, he keeps taking, like, these small steps forward each year, it seems like. Um, you just hope one year he's he's going to be able to push himself to kind of that Luis Castillo level, um, which could be next year. I mean, he, he does keep improving. Um, and then Vladimir Gutierrez, that was a welcome surprise for a guy who uh, was, unable, was unable to pitch because of a suspension in 2020. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's some building blocks there, definitely. Um, and like you said, it was kind of the the one strength of the team all year besides the offense um, that they could rely on was they're starting pitching. They They got a lot of innings out of those guys. Their war number as a staff, correct me if I'm wrong, was pretty high, wasn't it? Including the bullpen, which had their struggles. Do I have that right? I guess I should probably. In baseball reference war, yes. Fangraph's war uses a different formula, and they use more probability. So there, theirs wasn't as high in Fangraph's war. But baseball reference war, it was really high, yes. I wrote about that the other day. How um, is that encouraging for the club going forward? I mean, the bullpen, if you're going to point at one thing – 
that would be the downfall of the team, I guess. Although in September and early October, it was a lot of things. Uh, not scoring runs for a large period of time was a, was a major downfall during that stretch. So, but is it encouraging that number, Trent? Sure. I mean, you you have Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, Tyler Malley all coming back. Yeah. Um, assuming other moves don't happen, and you know, I could I could honestly see a move of one of those guys um, that would not be a popular move, but I, I could see a, a reason for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you have a top three like that, you feel pretty good um, going in. And and then they have a $10 million option on Wade Miley, who, you know, earlier you talked about top war being um, Jonathan India. That was for position players, top right. war overall, at least baseball reference war was um wade miley right who was top 10 in, in in the national league according to baseball reference um but so i i think that's just a good place to start when you start with Luis castillo sonny cray tyler malley that's a good place we are so appreciative of our sponsor this season western and southern financial group thank you so much for supporting the gym day podcast and here's a message from our sponsor Life can throw a lot at us, but through all the ups and downs, your financial future will be ever gentle on your mind with Western and Southern. From life insurance to investments, our one-on-one -on -one guidance is customized for your needs today and in the future. Western and Southern, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Visit westernsouthern.com slash rest assured to get started today. Ever smiling, never gentle on my mind. Products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, let's uh, let's look forward, shall we? I don't want to keep you guys too long here today. It is the off season, and they get a message like from this dude: "Hey, do you want to do a podcast? I know your season's over, but can you help me out?" And you're all like, "Oh god!" So I'll try not to keep you too long here. It's a good boys. thing you pay well. I do pay well. <clears throat> it's uh, I do. It's it's unbelievable the the budget for this show. <laughs> Yeah. Um, looking forward, obviously the first thing on the plate is what is Castellanos going to do, right? Now, should the Reds front office assume, I think he has first week after the season ends to decide, like four or five days, something like that, to decide whether he would opt out. If he opts in, it's for two years. And if he opts out, he's a free agent. The Reds can offer him a qualifying offer. They get a draft pick in return just to set the stage. But... Should the Reds front office, Mark, assume that he's opting out, in your opinion? I, I think they have to. Uh, number one, his agent, Scott Boris, is not one to not pursue maximum dollars if he can get it. Uh, the only thing that can change this, the, the dynamic is, and then Nick mentioned this himself the other day, is if the collective bargaining agreement does not happen and there's a, there's a work stoppage of some sort, it may not be the right time to, 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 to opt out. It could just be all right, he, he's going to, there's not going to be a big contract out there waiting for him when they do figure it out. So he better stay. But I, I think the Reds will have to operate like they're going to need a new, I need a new right fielder next year. I don't see him staying uh, and not opting out. Any of you guys think that the Reds will pursue him as a free agent if that happens? I don't see it. I don't know that they're going to play in that level. They might say, it might be like Trevor Bauer was last year. Um, 
where they said that they, they have interest and they would like to talk to them and all that. But in the end, they're not, they're not swimming in that, that end of the pool. All right. So that but, would go ahead, Bob. I was just going to say, I, I don't think he's going to get top dollar. I mean, I, he's, he made 16 million with the Reds over four years. I think maybe he gets in that 20 to 25 range. So I don't think the price will be outrageous. I just don't see the Reds having that type of money where they're going to spend on one player. But I think it makes sense for him to opt out just because even if the Reds want you, you might as well get a new contract out of it. Yeah, if if you think that you're going to make more than what what's he owed? 35? What, what's 34 it? over 34. two years. So if you think if you can get more than 34 over two years, obviously you opt out unless you absolutely love Cincinnati or absolutely love the direction, but it is a business. Let's, let's face it, and this he's 30, so this is the time – to get a multi-year contract or there's just a, I mean, I don't think this happens, but let's put that out there that the reds offer him a qualifying offer and it's around 20 million. And he goes, Oh, okay. 20 million for one. Maybe I'll do that with the uncertainty of the, um, of, of the off season and, and thinking like, well, what am I going to do? And the other part about Nick Castellanos is playing at Great American Ballpark certainly didn't hurt him. Yeah, his splits were very favorable. So if he's going to bet on himself for one more year, if he doesn't see a long-term deal out there, saying if I come off my age thirty season playing at Great American Ballpark and maybe with a clearer um, labor situation, try it again after the twenty twenty two season. Now I don't think that happens but I can make that case as a, as a possibility. There's some big questions out there, some team options to be had, perhaps. What are your guys' thoughts on the $10 million option on Wade Miley, or I guess it's nine and a half with a half million dollar buyout, something like that, but it equals around $10 million. What do you guys think? Are you picking it up if you're the GM? I've got to know my budget, you know, yeah. that's the bottom line. It's, it's, it's a tough one. And, and, you know, because do you expect him to be better than this year? I don't know that you can do that. And you're paying him more than you did this year. Yeah. And, and he's going to be 35. And, you know, like you mentioned, Trent mentioned the top three. You also have Gutierrez. You have um, possibly Hunter Green. You know, Nick Lodolo may not be that far away. You have Raver, Raver San Martin. There, there are pitchers in the system that they could – fill that space with obviously at a cheaper price uh you know to, then to give up on you know wade miley so i i don't not knowing the budget it, it it's hard to say but i i think that's at least a spot where the reds could look at their fifth spot and say hey we we can give competition to the guys in the system and, and see what they get what would the trade market be for wade miley say you pick up an option and you try to trade him think there's a market there or is that rolling the dice I think it's the same as trying to pick up his option. I mean, if you're concerned about his health and when he's not healthy, he hasn't performed obviously, but when he is healthy, he's had good numbers over the last three years. So I think if teams are willing to bet on his health, 10 million is not crazy. Um, but, but I think it's harder to do when you haven't seen him either. Um, you know, the Reds had a firsthand look at how he pitched this year. Um, what he meant to the team. I don't, I don't know if team, other teams would value that as much when you don't see him on a daily basis just because he's not going to stand out analytically when you look at compare all the free agents, you know, he's not going to have the fastballs, the spin rates or anything that's going to 
jump out at you like some of the other starters do. A very perplexing one to me is Tucker Barnhart. Tyler Stevenson, terrific rookie season. Already a clutch hitter. They found many ways to get his bat into the lineup. If there was a big pinch hit situation, it was Tyler Stevenson more times than not. Still has a ways to go defensively. Barnhart, two-time gold glover. Hit better at first, waned off towards the end. Now from the left-hand side exclusively. I think the option $7.5 million. The half-million-dollar buyout. What are you doing there? It's a great situation. One-two punch, lefty-righty. Mark Sheldon, that's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Um, you can make the case, and I would make the case, that he should be brought back. I think I think that catching tandem was a success. I think it made the pitching staff better, and I, I think it made Tyler Stevenson better, and it certainly made Tucker better. I think the he was fresher the rest of the year because he, he didn't play as much, uh, but – Sometimes that is a luxury when you, especially when you have a productive catcher like Stevenson who is clearly ready. Uh, do they have the luxury to, to pick up a seven and a half million dollar option for a veteran? Uh, I don't know that they would do that. Uh, it's hard to say not knowing the number uh, that they're going to be working within, but uh, man, it's a, that's a tough one. Cause he's not only is he a, a good catcher and a gold glover, but he's also, he, he, the pitchers love working with him, and he's a team leader. And and giving up on all that, especially a guy that's from your backyard in Indianapolis, that's a tough one. Yeah, and he wants to be here as well. Um, what do you what do you think, Bob? Not knowing, obviously, not knowing the budget, but yeah. in my head, if the payroll was kind of the same, I th- I think I would move on if I was in the GM chair. I mean, I, I know what Tucker brings, everything he means to the team, the pitching staff. I, I think he's head and shoulders defensively better than Stevenson, but um, I, I mean, I'm as big a fan of Stevenson as there is out there. I think he deserves to play every day. I think going ahead, looking at the future, I mean, I think he's the one guy who's, if I had to buy stock in a player that five years from now, this guy's going to be an all-star. I, I think he's a lock for that. And so to me, I, to me, it just makes sense to pair him with a cheaper backup, let him start 130 games and kind of ride the Tyler Stevenson wave. Trent, do you think he can handle 130 games behind the plate and improve defense? Nobody does 130. You know, nobody does 130 anymore, except yeah. for Yadier Molina and and um, yeah, that's why the, Perez. the tandem is works so well. The tandem is huge, and I think that's so important. And if you're talking about seven and a half million for, um, for for Tucker Barnhart, then you have like. 8.2 million for your catching tandem. And this, this, this team's built on its starting pitching. And I think Tucker Barnhart's a big part of that. I also go back to the value in, in Tyler Stevenson is the bat. And there is an extra spot to get him in there every day with the DH. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, I, I agree with everything both Mark and Bobby said. Um, and I see Bobby's point as well. Um, and it's, again, you have to know the budget and if it's the same or lower, that's a, that's a tough squeeze and you're not going to be able to do Wade Miley. And I, I, I don't see where Wade Miley and Tucker Barnhart, which is funny because they work together all year, um, are back together, um, next year. So it, it's really tough, but most importantly, the biggest case for bringing back Tucker Barnhart, and that is $7.5 million well spent, is it helps me. 
Tucker's the best for me and for Bobby and for Mark and for you. Well, he is great at dealing with the media, explaining things. Um, it's fantastic. And in the end, that is why I think they should bring back Tucker Barnhart for me. <laughs> I love the that honest answer, and I will second that. He is a pro's pro. And in this age of post-game Zooms, we don't always get the starter who struggled or the certainly this year, the reliever that blew the game. But Tucker Barnhart, they wheel him in there every time and would answer the questions for the pitcher. And that is big league as it gets. And there's someone else in our media contingent that says, when asked, who do you root for? He says, I root for me. So <laughs> it wasn't me and it wasn't you, Tritt. So, uh, you know, no one's going to, take care of uh, of me except for me so I, I, i'm good with rooting for me trent that was a lot of me's now back to me that's jim day <laughs> um you know quietly not a lot of talk about michael lorenzen he's a free agent so what do you think he gone yeah i think he's out uh I, I got no sense that he's going to come back and, and nor would his price tag be where something like the Reds would be comfortable paying, assuming the payroll stayed similar to what it is, or even if it was you know a little higher or a little lower, uh, you know, the injuries that he's had and, and things like that. I just, I think I got the impression it's already assumed that he's leaving. So uh, we'll see, but I, I, I think, the bullpen will certainly need to be addressed this offseason, whether he stays or whether he goes, but I think that's going to be one more spot they're going to have to fill. What about Givens? Yeah, I think he's gone too. Quick timeout. Back after this. Do you think they have enough of a nucleus to, to build a bullpen next year, or do you think they need to sign – I mean, they had – closer by committee it was I guess Givens without saying it was Givens at the end of the year but a lot of guys were in that closer role do they need a defined closer I think if you have Rysel Iglesias again I think that makes the world a difference like I think people realized how good he was in a bad 19 season where he had double digit loss number and I know he was you know he, he got you on the edge of your seat sometimes in the ninth inning but having a guy who can come in and you know he can get any hitter out, righty or lefty. Don't have to play the matchups. Um, and, and he was a guy who I think is really underappreciated for the fact that he came in in the eighth inning a lot and got those four or five out saves. If you have a guy like that, I think it makes a lot of sense to go back to a one-closer role. Because, um, I mean, we, we saw this year with the committee, I mean, if you have two guys that are struggling, like Keith Hembry, the Brad Brock stage, I mean, Obviously, that wasn't optimal. I mean, I, I know they wish they had TJ Antone and Lucas Sims and Amir Garrett would have pitched better and they would have had more options. But um, I think when you have one guy and he, he's able to close it out, having a guy in that role is really important. And I think they missed that this year. All right, let's put you uh, quickly in the GM chair. Let's say that Castellanos opts out. You, at least one of the two, Miley or Barnhart, aren't back. Lorenzen's gone. Givens is gone. Where are you guys going if you have a little bit of money to spend, not knowing the budget? And I'm asking these questions where you literally don't know the budget. You don't know it. I don't even know if the Reds know it right now. Where are you going to improve the club first? What's the biggest 
need for you, Trent? That's a great question. Um, and one I was supposed to be looking at for a story I was supposed to be writing today that I haven't written yet. Um, <laughs> Hold on. This know, is breaking I, news. Trent said I was a great question. Stand by. Let me mark this date down. Okay, go ahead. I'm, you know, I, I think there's a lot you have to look at. I, I, I go back to that bullpen because you feel, I don't know if there is a difference maker in the outfield. Um, maybe you do look for, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I just re-talked myself into it. But you got to look for something in the outfield. And I don't know if you're going and searching for a, I don't know, a Tyler Naquin type that you hope for a bounce back or whatever else, but it's just so, so difficult. It's still, it's, it's, it's maybe the outfield and in the bullpen. Mark, so yeah, that's a, that's a lot of, for not saying anything. <laughs> Sorry, Trey, to step on you there. Where are you going, Mark? I think right field would be the, the spot. I, I, I think Castellanos offense, if he's gone, that'll be very hard to replace. And, and they, I don't think they'll be able to spend Castellanos money to get the Castellanos replacement. But I, I do think they have to find a way to, to make up for that production. I don't think – I think Tyler Naquin had a great year. I, I don't know if he could do it again and, and be a full-time right fielder. I don't think Aquino is going to be the answer. Uh, they're going to need somebody in right field that can that can at least provide some power to complement Winker and, and the other guy. GM Bobby Nightingale, where are you going? I think I'm wheeling and dealing if it's up to me. Like I, I, would, I would trade a lot from – this roster, just a lot of turnover. I mean, I, if you have money to spend, I, I guess I'd try to spend it in the outfield. Um, I'm not big on spending it on one free agent reliever, unless it's like the Liam Hendricks types, um, or just your dominant, you know, they're going to be great year in and year out, but, um, yeah, I'd probably have to go right field if I was spending, but I think I, I'd be a guy who try to make a few trades and turn the roster over a little bit. Interesting. It's going to be, I mean, Nick Crawl's got so much on his hands and his staff is going to be interesting. All right, let's end with this one because this was such a hot topic all season long. The shortstop position. Jose Barrero, one of the top position prospects. Um, they say the shortstop of the future could be the shortstop of now. Are there questions with him at the plate. And I know it's a small sample size. And it's almost unfair to judge him at this point at the plate. Do you see holes in the swing? Do you see him improving? Do you see him as the shortstop next year? And how impressed were you with him in center field? Because there are some that think he could be a better center fielder than a shortstop defensively, which is saying a lot. What do you think is going to happen? I think he's got to hit better. I think if he's going to play center field, he's certainly going to have to hit better to, to, to play that position and, and fill that role uh, at shortstop. Maybe not as much, but uh, I think the only thing that stops him from being the shortstop next season is his bat. You know, his glove can do it. Uh, but if, if Kyle Farmer can hit anywhere near what he was hitting this season, and that'll be better than what Barrero does and, and Farmer played steady shortstop. But I think, I think it's going to be an interesting battle at spring training between the two of them at shortstop. I, th I think he deserves everyday playing time. I mean, I, I think that's been the one thing so far. I mean, he got called up way too early in 2020, caught called up this year after dominant minor league season and never got to play every day. So I, I think he can hit. It's just a matter of kind of letting him be like Jonathan India and just saying, figure it out at the big league level. Um, it's going to take maybe a month or so, but I, I think he will figure it out. Um, but 
I, th- I think he's the shortstop of the future. I think he's the best short defensive shortstop on the roster. But I'd play him in center. I mean, you have a shortstop in Kyle Farmer. I know it kind of sounds backwards when you do it that way, but um, when you def- when you need to fill a center field hole, um, and the way he looked in center field, I thought he was really good. So I think if you can just say, hey, use your athleticism in center, Kyle Farmer, you you proved you're more than adequate at defensive shortstop. Um, I, I fill two holes that way instead of just pushing – farmer into a utility role. You know, I, I kind of see Bobby's point too, where it's just like what Barrero needs more than anything is at bats. Yeah. And I don't see him as a guy, the way he looked in center field, it didn't look like a guy who was going to be burdened uh, mentally by playing there, right. that it would disrupt what he did at the plate. It was their he best was defensive such, center fielder from the get go. It was unbelievable. Such a natural such a natural athlete in so many ways that um, I I think as long as you can find ways to get him in, in at bats, you can, uh, I mean, I I guess I go back to Robin Yount, you know, as a guy who can play shortstop and center field. And um, I I don't think he loses the ability to play shortstop if he's in center field. And I don't think he loses the ability to play center field if he's at shortstop. So the most important thing for him is at bat. Yeah, no, I agree with that. He's definitely got to get at bats and to to judge him offensively right now. Like I said, it's probably unfair. It's too small of a sample size, and he was rushed uh, last year into uh, into playing well before he was ready. But man, him in center field, I got to tell you, he stands out defensively at shortstop. You're like, wow, he's he's really good. Then they put him in center. I'm like, wow. This could be like superstar good right here in center field. I mean, his long strides, his athleticism, and this is a he's still throwing like an infielder, so he learns the footwork in the outfield and to throw like an outfielder. I mean, it it could be incredible how good he is out there. There there was a throw that it was was that his first start out there? Throw to third? To third, and yeah. he short armed it. He yeah. short armed it like you do in the infield. Exactly. And, yes, and that... it was one of those things where I saw it. And 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 honestly, this is I think I saw it because of where our press box is now. You see things like this. Yeah. Um, when we're off to the side, not to say I would wouldn't prefer our old press box, but I saw him like short arm it. And I thought that was weird. And then like David did say something, like he threw it like an infielder and still got got there. Um the the guys you can see why they've been excited about him for several years. And it was funny that he is a guy that internally they probably had him as their top prospect before externally. Yeah. Um, and there's another one of those on the way. Yeah. No, who are you talking about? De La Cruz? Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah. De La Cruz. Yeah. I think, I think 19 years old internally their top prospect. And it's kind of yeah. like Barrero where, you know, internally they said, this is the guy. Um, I know they got calls yeah. from scouts and trades when they're in on the trade deadline saying, well, um, maybe that De La Cruz guy and the Reds were like, no, no yeah. dog. We good. Yeah. Also well, got to remember with uh center field is they can't count on Nick Senzel making a return to full strength after this season and the previous seasons. He, he, they don't have a center fielder they can count on yet. And if Barrero is that guy and he can, he can hit and he can see at bats and he becomes a good hitter, then he would fill that slot because right now Senzel would strike me maybe as being the utility type player uh, based on the, the amount of games he's been able to play so far. Yeah. The one, the one thing too is if you, if Castellanos leaves and say you don't have a chance to sign a big money free agent, 
you want to use that money elsewhere. You know, you have Naquin for right field, Winker for left. You can fill DH how you want to, but kind of solves your outfield, um, kind of that big hole you have out there if Guerrero could be a starting center fielder or if Nick Senzel, you could count on him and he's 100%. But. Right. And you've got guys like De La Cruz in the system. You've got Matt McClain, who I've heard great things about offensively as a possible shortstop third baseman. So you've got guys coming up through the pipeline. It's going to be interesting. I would seriously consider Barrero in center field. I know some people listening are like, stop it, stop it. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Gentlemen, I thank you for the speculation and looking back, looking forward. You guys are have the pulse of the team and uh, I do appreciate it. I certainly want to let everyone know where they can find your work. Although, if you're listening to this podcast, you pretty much know. But we're going to put it out there. Bobby, what are we? Cincinnati.com, correct? Correct. Mark Sheldon, you can check out his work at MLB.com, Reds.com. Absolutely. And C. Trent Rosecrans, The Athletic. Should I just say The App? Awesome app, by the way. Or just The Athletic.com. Uh, I'm still so old that I read it on a computer. Oh, wow. Man. I miss the days where I had an athletic magazine, perhaps, or an athletic newspaper. To physically hold the newspaper, that's how old I am. The Kids. National. Yes, The National. Kids, just Google it if you're trying to figure out. All right, where are we on social media so people can harass you, Bobby? Uh, Twitter, at NightingaleJR. Mark Sheldon. Uh, Twitter is uh, M underscore Sheldon and Instagram, I believe is uh, Sheldon, uh, Mark Sheldon, ML, I'm sorry, Sheldon MLB on Instagram. The IG, the gram and Trent, where are you? So people can harass you at C Trent on Twitter. <laughs> Very good. Hey, enjoy your off season. You guys deserve it. A lot of hard work and uh, I'll be bugging you in the future. How about a 2022 Preseason edition of the Riders Roundtable. Are you in? Oh, good. Live from Goodyear. Live from Goodyear. <laughs> oh, I'll see you there. I hope so. I, and I hope live it's from a, the Goodyear Clubhouse. Yeah. Oh, even better. We got a little podcast. Hold room. on. This is positive. This is wishful thinking. This is not negative thinking. Goodyear on time in the clubhouse. Book it. There you go. You heard it here first. Although probably none of the above will happen. But we'll see on down the line. Once again, it is Bobby Nightingale from the Cincinnati Inquirer, Mark Sheldon from MLB.com, Reds.com, and C. Trent Rosecrans. Take two, C. Trent Rosecrans from The Athletic. Gentlemen, have a great offseason. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. All right. Hope you enjoyed that little chat there, Writers Roundtable Season Ending Edition, and I meant what I said. These guys are the ones that really put in the work and, and really have a pulse on the entire organization and the entire team. And I love to um, pick their brains uh, because I think it's the best insight that you're going to get. So uh, we appreciate those guys. And, you know, journalism is hard to find in this world anymore. But those guys, at least on the baseball front, are doing true journalism. A lot of questions going forward about the Cincinnati Reds, per usual, any offseason. And some questions about Major League Baseball in general. But 2021 season, while it ended in a disappointing way, 
Man, it was a fun team to watch. There were a lot of fans that were engaged uh, in the team. And a lot of exciting things happened. And a lot of exciting storylines and a lot of exciting players. Uh, you know, I think Nick Castellanos kind of setting the tone. Fans fell in love with that. They certainly fell in love with Jonathan India. Votto, the reemergence of Joey Votto. Uh, and to see him interact with fans and, and enjoy it. I just thought was so entertaining. They've got some good starting pitching. They've got a, some good young players. There are some things to build on. Uh, the smallest market in baseball in an uneven financial business, tough road to hoe. But we're going to choose to be positive and look forward to the 2022 edition of your Cincinnati Reds. We would like to thank our sponsor, Western and Southern Financial Group. Thank you for a wonderful season. You are a terrific organization. Thank you, thank you. Our biggest thanks goes out to you, though. Another season in the books of the Jim Day podcast. And uh, we continue to grow and we continue to have great interactions. I, I literally can't go anywhere. Someone will say, hey, I enjoy the podcast. And that means so much. It means so, so much that so many thousands of you check out this podcast on a regular basis so thank you from the bottom of my heart and until next time everyone we will see you on down the road so long everyone <laughs>